I'm Brenna, a certified sex expert and sex coach who is passionate about human sexuality, female empowerment, and helping people develop the sex life of their dreams. I'm Brian, certified relationship coach, eager to share my unique relationship experiences along with a rich history of sexuality to coach you through your personal journey. And you're listening to Sex on Your Terms. As people who are both non-monogamous and kinky, we have found it very interesting that sometimes the two worlds, swinging and kink, don't always mix well. We're going to talk about why we think that is, the experiences we've had in both worlds, and just all-encompassing how I think the two worlds, we think the two worlds, can become a little bit more cohesive. Before we get to that today, we want to say a very big thank you to our amazing partners, altplayground.net. If you are looking for a non-monogamous adventure, to connect with like-minded people, or just to check out many non-monogamous resources, altplayground.net is the perfect place to go. We are currently living on the Alt Playground tour bus, which is very cool as well. They are really changing the way that things are being done in this space, and we're so excited to be a part of that forward momentum. So once again, come join us over at Alt playground.net today okay so i have a very interesting sex in the news for you today brian which you you don't know what it is yet it's from bbc news which i love because i love bbc they're very uh not based on the u.s politics and everything else and when they once in a while do something sex related of course it's like moth to light with me i just love that they do that uh this one is here about kira knightley the actress kira knightley if you guys don't know who she is she was in pirates of the caribbean a lot of other great movies love actually like my favorite movie it's so strange It's the best Christmas movie ever. Ever. Yeah, so Keira Knightley rules out sex scenes directed by men. That's the title of the BBC oh, News article. Yeah. So, so she was recently speaking to the Chanel Connects podcast and said that she has absolute she has an absolute ban on filming nude scenes that are directed by men. She said it's partly vanity, it's also about the male gaze. And basically what she said is when women directors, female directors are the ones that are directing her, she feels significantly more safe, more secure, and also feels that they have her best interest at heart far more than a male director would, which I find fascinating. It's interesting. I imagine that even if, you know, listen, if someone, a big name director, male director, were to be part of a movie she was in, why not? Certainly, I think it would be in in that director's best interest to bring some folks in to choreograph scenes and to direct scenes who are female or non-binary or you know something yeah well it's interesting that you say that because the article also talks about how many studios have started to hire intimacy coordinators to oversee any sex scenes that are being shot and also to ensure that the actors feel 100% comfortable with everything going on that everything is consensual etc and a lot of actresses especially are writing into their contracts that they will only do sex scenes if an intimacy coordinator is on set Sure. Which I think makes so much sense in the world. And I think especially given everything that's, that happened with Harvey Weinstein and all of these other actors out there. I mean, it's really unfortunate that female actresses have to be concerned about this on such a deep level that they will literally write into a contract that somebody needs to oversee their well-being. Well, also, I mean, you think of it from the perspective of the male mind versus the, you know, the female mind. Uh, men, unfortunately, heteronormative men see sex very differently from women. I mean, we know that. That's historical. You know, the whole Mars and Venus thing. So to get the perspective of someone else, I think is a, you know, it probably should have been done a whole a long time ago. Yeah, absolutely. And I think someone just being there to advocate for you. I mean, the reality is, even if you are a, a high-powered actress like Kira Knightley, 
being afraid that someone is not going to respect your sexual boundaries or respect what it is you want to have happen in a nude scene or a sex scene it's really unfortunate that we're still at that point in society and it's really unfortunate that it it almost doesn't matter who you are you still have to be concerned about it well the good news though i think is had it not been for the i mean if you want if there is any silver lining in that shit if there's any silver lining in these uh, events the idea that it took these Harvey Weinstein type actions to bring something like this to light where now you've got intimacy coaches, but there were no intimacy coaches 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Right. Now it's become, it's now to become the norm where it took some kind of really just catastrophic events to make that possible. That's unfortunate. I think what's so interesting is you hear some of the more legendary, the that's a nice word for, you know, older actresses, people that have been in the industry for 30, 40, 50 years that talk about the level of harassment. The casting couches have been a real thing. Not even just that, but I mean, I remember, I think it's Jane Fonda. I, I should have found it before we got on to record, but I believe Jane Fonda was talking about how even director's assistants would make comments sure. about her or touch her inappropriately on set. It was almost this mindset of high powered Hollywood men can do whatever they want to women, yeah. no matter who the woman is, doesn't matter how wealthy she is, well known, any of those things, because she's a woman, she automatically gets treated so differently. And yeah, I mean, I think the the fact that women like Kira Knightley are standing up and saying, I'm not going to do this without a female director or an intimacy coordinator on set is amazing. And I, I think we need to see more of that. We need to see women, not just in Hollywood, but in all industries, standing up for themselves and advocating for themselves. Well, I think you will. I mean, the idea that you the, the directors or the producer's assistant thought that you know, the idea that someone like that, by proxy of being associated with the director or the producer, could behave that way as well unconscionable so yeah i think it's time that those things change and it's unfortunate that it took these types of events to make that happen yeah i agree so i just thought that was a really interesting article it's something that i don't think is is spoken about enough in terms of you know women still being treated differently when sex is involved i mean obviously this is talking about sex scenes but you look at women for example that shoot porn and the insane amount of misogyny that they have had to deal with you know finally there are advocating groups coming out that are specifically geared towards helping women in the porn industry speak up for themselves and and make sure that they're being treated as they should be i think of organizations like pineapple support for example, which is more geared towards mental health, but they also have groups within that organization that advocate for women's sexual health and help them avoid harassment on set. So, I mean, all of those things are are finally starting to kind of take shape, but the fact that it's 2021 and we're just now kind of getting there is pretty staggering. I'm sure. And it's never, I don't think in my lifetime, I'll see it completely dissipate, but it's certainly... going in the right direction yeah for sure so i really liked that article i'm glad that bbc is talking about something that is important in terms of women's sexual wellness and and advocacy on the in the workplace for sure good news yeah So as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode today, we're going to talk about something that since we've been on the road has really been on our minds. For those of you who don't listen to our other podcast, Front Porch Swingers, we are currently traveling in a tour bus and we had the opportunity to kind of start this venture in Nashville. And we went to a a place, a kink 
space, I'll say, in Nashville called The Mark. And we had the opportunity to speak with uh, two of the coordinators of that location. And it really has had our mind thinking so much about the kink world versus the let's for the sake of this podcast episode call it the swinger world right because i don't think non-monogamy is the right way to put it because a lot of kink people are polyamorous and they're very proud of that label and they don't necessarily have the same issues with that lifestyle as as swingers and kink people seem to have so we're going to talk a little bit about that and our personal experiences with both of those worlds kind of colliding and also how we think the two worlds can be a little bit more uh, harmonious and allow people like us who want to be in both worlds to be in both worlds in a positive way well the idea that the kink space and as you refer to it the swinger centric space let's call it are not congruent is an understatement the more time we spend and and to be clear we are both kinksters and swingers i mean if you want to get right down to it we are also uh, polyamorous at this point in our our lives and our our relationship so we wear a lot of hats in the world of ethical non-monogamy and sexuality in general and i'm always disheartened by the by the chasm between kink and swinging and i don't think it was as evident to me as it was when we met the folks at the mark because when the person responsible for developing the mark and building the mark and and really making it what it is told us that he and his team offered to talk about consent to the local swinger clubs and they were just rejected instantly yeah i I found it so strange that they wouldn't take part in it. They didn't, they didn't want to take the opportunity to learn something and to teach the people who are coming into their space something and the employees that work there something that's so important It's and, and so basic, right? We're not talking about brain surgery here. We're talking about consent. We just got done talking about consent in, I don't think in it's Sex in the News. I don't think it's as basic as you think well, it is, though. Well, I guess my point is it certainly should be. You know, it's very black and white to me. You either consent or you don't, and you have the respect of getting someone's consent or you don't. You don't go if you're not invited. I'm. That's just. It's just that simple for me. Well, I think that's a perfect place for us to start this discussion, actually, because I think it, you're saying consent is very black and white, and I understand why you're saying that because it should be something that's so obvious. Well, it is to me black and white. It's it's it's, it's the most obvious thing, right? It's sim- to me. It's simply. It's a level of respect that should just be understood. Like, there's there's no gray area. But there is gray area, in my opinion. So, for example, one of the things, the other things we talked to the folks at the Mark about, and I think is a huge difference between the worlds of kink and swinging, is alcohol consumption. Yeah. Okay, so there's a lot of people out there that like to get intoxicated when they go to swingers' events. In fact, they don't go to swingers' events unless they're intoxicated. And that could be for one of many... Or under the influence of something. Or under the influence of something besides alcohol yes and I, there can be a lot of different reasons for that a lot of people think of it as their time away from the kids and their normal life and they're just gonna live it up and they're gonna party and that's what they do there's other people that are especially if they're newer to the lifestyle they're very nervous about being in those environments yeah lowers and, inhibitions yeah exactly they feel more sexy when they have that buzz or or high going on and I, I guess I can wrap my head around that but for you and I, we've lived very different lives in terms of how alcohol consumption has really impacted us, both professionally and personally. Well, yeah. First of all, I, you know, I spent 30 years in the world of adult entertainment management and restaurant operation and casino casino operation development. 
I've seen all of the intoxication I think I will ever need to see. You know, I also grew up with a sibling who was uh, a junkie. He was a drug addict and a a drunk. And I saw it it was a part of it for a good period of my time, my life, and my my young life anyway. And then my adult life, as I said, I spent the time, you know, working in, in adult environments. I just don't see the attraction. I don't see the draw. I don't see the, the romance of being intoxicated or otherwise under the influence. To me, there's n- there's no draw to me. So from my perspective, I guess maybe I'm skewed, but I don't see it. Well, I think from a female perspective, and this is something I'm, I'm not sure I've ever talked about, but I want to talk about it because I think it's important and it's a conversation that needs to happen more often. I told you um, I had a partner before you and I got together who, in my opinion, drank a little bit too much. And there was an evening where we were playing consensually at first and then something happened that was not with my consent. It actually left me with a physical injury And I left that interaction going, well, everything up to that point had been consensual and he was pretty drunk. So I think, you know, he just didn't really understand what he was doing. And so there's that mentality of I'm kind of providing reasons for why things happen rather than holding someone responsible for their actions. And alcohol had a lot to do with that. Well, yeah, you're partially right. He didn't understand what he was doing. And that was because he was drunk. That's why. It's that simple. Yeah. And sure, you can make all the excuses you want. And that's what a lot of people do because they want to, you know, they want to give justification for it. They certainly don't want to feel bad about what happened, particularly don't want to feel bad about themselves, much like you didn't want to feel like you had done anything wrong. And you took the responsibility when you shouldn't have 100 percent. And the truth of the matter is, at least you'd like to think so. If he wasn't intoxicated, if he wasn't under the influence of alcohol to a high degree, it never would have happened. And that's the bottom line. So when you talk to people like the folks we spoke to at the mark and they tell you flat out, we don't do alcohol and drugs here. You cannot come in here intoxicated or otherwise under the influence. You can't have alcohol or drugs here. It's simply a non-starter. Right. It's, it's not even in the conversation. Well, and I think the reason for me that that is such a big deal is because I now go into interactions with people. First of all, I don't play with people if I can tell that they are overly intoxicated. And one of the reasons is because my mind goes back to that incident with this person that I was kind of dating. And the idea that I was put in a very unsafe position because I was engaging sexually with someone who was that intoxicated makes me never want to do that again. Sure. And and I think that that is something that a, a lot of people don't consider. We, I mean, we receive so many emails. You guys have no idea the number of emails that we receive talking about how something went seriously wrong in a swapping interaction in some sort of a swinging interaction that had almost everything to do with the level of intoxication that was happening. Well, I mean, look at it like this. And this is how, this is for me the simplest way to put it, okay? You don't need to have a high level of intelligence to get this. You cannot, no one can function as well under the influence of alcohol or drugs as they can sober. Now, I now have a commercial driver's license because we are driving a charter bus. Normal blood alcohol level, 0.08, is the legal limit for driving drunk, basically, driving under the influence. When you have a commercial driver's license, that number is lowered to 0.04. Someone my weight, my size, 6'1", about 200 pounds, I can have basically one drink, one glass of wine, one beer before I get to 0.04, depending on what, you know, the alcohol level in those, in those drinks. What does that tell you? That tells you that the Department of Transportation knows that beyond that, you can't function. 
and you shouldn't be behind the wheel of a commercial vehicle. So if you put that into perspective of consent or engaging with others sexually, any more than that should simply be unacceptable. You can no longer make proper judgments in any capacity other than sober, period. Yes. That's the end of it. I will also say that every single time that there has been a consent violation toward us at an event of some sort has been by someone who was intoxicated. Absolutely. It has never been a sober person that has come up and just grabbed your genitals. It or has, yours. Or mine. It has never been a person that, it, yeah, just come up and grabbed my butt completely sober. That does not happen. No, and, and let me say before we go too much further... That is not gender specific. Nope. You, 99 times out of 100, are usually touched without consent by someone who presents as female. Yes. 100%. Yep. And, and for that matter, so have I. Yes. Any single time I have been touched or approached in any way without consent, it has been by someone who presents as female. Yes. It's happened it's happened a number of times, and that has been the case every time. So what's interesting is when we went to the mark and, and we fell in love with it, we started talking to people in the swinging lifestyle about the mark and how great it is. And there was actually someone that reached out to us who doesn't live in Nashville but lives in surrounding area. And they said, you know, if you're ever back through the area, let us know. And I said, yeah. And just so you know, there's this great place called The Mark. Right. And they went and looked it up and came back and said, well, yeah, but they don't allow alcohol on premises. That's right. And it was like, well, yeah, but you should go for the other experiences. You should go because you can interact with like-minded people and you can just see what the environment is like. And the response back was literally, we don't go to places we can't drink. And I think... And when we're talking about that chasm, that that split between swingers and kingsters, that is probably the most evident one. Yeah. In fact, the people that run the mark, we were talking to them about bringing in kind of the swinger community and having swinger nights and those types of things. And they said the biggest struggle they have is that swingers don't want to come to a place where they can't have alcohol. Yes, he, they absolutely said that. But what they also said was... When people do come in who are swinger-centric for the first time, if they can't have alcohol, they can't have drugs, but they come in, they want to check it out. They said within very short period of time, they end up naked and enjoying themselves <laughs> and around other people. They realize they're in a judgment-free space, in a body positivity space, in a safe space. Everyone's just having a good time. And all of a sudden, the need for alcohol or other substances simply goes out the window because you're just so relaxed. And I challenge people in the swinger-centric space to go to spaces more kink-oriented that don't allow drugs or alcohol and just try it and just enjoy yourself, just open yourself up to it, I'm willing to bet that a large majority of people will be just fine without it. The idea that, first of all, if you need alcohol or drugs to do anything, you shouldn't be doing it, as far as I'm concerned. Right. If, that's a, if that is a priority to you. If that is a requirement, if it's prerequisite, I have to be drunk to do this, I have to have a drink to do that, you really ought to consider not doing whatever that is. I don't care what it is. You know? I completely agree. I, I really, I don't care. I think some of it is psychosomatic. A lot of it is. I think people use that as an excuse. Oh, I have to fly drunk. I can't fly if I'm not drunk. Or I can't go to a, a swinger event if I'm not drunk. Uh, sorry, I don't buy it. I, I really think that that's just a, it's an excuse 
And if that's the case, I'm sorry we can't hang out with you at these events. Well, I think about the other way around as well. I think for people who are used to a kink-centric space where alcohol and drugs are not allowed, and then they decide to venture out a little, maybe they have a partner that has been talking about non-monogamy and they want to kind of experience the other side of it. Think about them walking into some of the swinger events or swinger clubs we've been to and the level of intoxication that you see at some of these events, I think would be staggering to them. Well, I think a lot of times about the the last time we went to a club, you know, pre-COVID when it was still permissible. And I find that the drunken behavior and the intoxicated behavior, I find it such a turnoff that when we were there, we were there with friends. We were there with a group. We had a cabana. We had, we. I mean, we were, it was a great time. Should have been a great time. There was so much intoxication around us by people who weren't part of our group that I was completely turned off by the entire experience and I wasn't comfortable. I couldn't even relax because we had drunken guys hanging out by our cabana and and trying to chat up the girls and being inappropriate. So I'm playing security as opposed to just laying back and enjoying myself surrounded by all of our sexy friends. It's a turnoff. And then from that point on, I just wasn't interested in, in anything after that. I just wanted to get out of there and go back to the hotel. Yeah. You know, it's a real drag. And listen, I get it. A lot of people want to go out and enjoy themselves and all that good stuff. That's fine. We're not prudes. We like to drink too. We go out and have a good time. But what we don't do is drink and try to play with others and go to events that way and, and well, behave that we way. do drink. I, I drink at events. I do not want it to come across as if we are completely sober every time we no. go to an event. No. I do have a cocktail or two, but right. that's where it stops. If I'm ever at a point that I'm slurring my words or I feel f- fuzzy-headed or any of those types of things, I then know I can't play yeah, that we're night. done. And I don't drink at events because I want you to enjoy yourself. I don't do that. Also, I'm probably driving. And so I don't drink at all when we go to parties or events, or at least when it was permissible. And I, I always want to be the sober one in the room for any number of reasons. So for me, it's a, just as an, it's a non-starter. I don't even, I don't need it. I just prefer to, uh, you know, again, have all my wits about me and be the sober person in the room. So for me, that's the, it's the most comfortable for me. So it was really interesting. I was speaking to somebody on one of the kink platforms about this exact topic recently. They actually had a forum topic that they had thrown out there. And then she and I kind of started talking one-on-one about it. And she's another sex educator. She is somebody that teaches consent workshops. Uh, She actually has worked with a few swinger organizations. And one of the things that she always talks about when she's teaching any sort of a course or talking to people about consent is, in her mind and in the minds of a lot of other people in her field if you can't legally operate a vehicle you can't provide consent that's exactly right it's exactly what i just said i don't think you should be permitted to behave any old way you want just because you're at a quote-unquote swinger event or swinger club or ethically non-monogamous type situation all the more reason to be a hundred percent on your game you know and again we go to those events when it was permitted and and clubs primarily to meet people and connect with people those of you who do listen to front porch swingers our other show know we never went to an event or a club and have ever played in those said clubs or events that's not a comfort level for us we like to form a connection particularly with couples meet and greet and then have the potential for meeting and playing down the road or later that night but after we've had alone time to really get to know them correct but so for us the idea that we're going to try to get to know someone or folks who are 
otherwise intoxicated, you know, or under the influence, you're not going to really know those people. No. You know, it doesn't work for us. Yeah. I do think we should talk about something the other, kind of the other way around. We've kind of been not picking on swingers necessarily, but focusing on an opportunity in our opinion for kind of the swinger community to to look at how much they're drinking before they play. The other way that we have experienced that, in my opinion, kinksters need to be more open and aware of is the level of judgment towards sexual exploration. Yes. So there are a lot of people in the world of kink, for example, that they will scene with somebody. They will do an impact scene. They'll do a needle scene. They'll do an electro scene. But they won't have physical contact with those people. And to them, it really is about the act of whatever BDSM activity they're doing. And sex is either very much uh, a secondary part of it or not a part of it at all. Yeah. And because of that, they sometimes look down their noses a bit at people who just want to engage in sex with a significant amount of people. Yeah. And I guess let me talk about the hypocrisy of that. You and I experienced it firsthand. We were participating in the we were very much involved in the kink group, kink space and BDSM space in our hometown uh, a couple of years back. And we were going to munches and, and going to regular kind of meetups with the kink space, the kinksters in our in our area. When they found out, and of course I I was the one that outed us as swingers, we were all sitting around a, you know, 30 of us in a round table. It was during a munch and everybody's introducing themselves. And I introduced us as Brian and Brenna. We are ethically non-monogamous, we're kinksters, we're swingers. All of a sudden you could hear a pin drop in the room, right? People are, you know, scooting their chairs away from us. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little, but (laughs) that's what it felt like. No one spoke to us during that meeting or after the meeting at all. They didn't want anything to do with us. It wasn't until we got home a couple of hours later that we were hit up on our profiles, on our kink profiles, by three people in that room with us who could easily, one of them sitting right next to me, could easily have spoken to us at that time, but chose to wait and reach out to us digitally so that no one else in the room knew and said, hey, we would love to have a drink with you guys. We didn't know you were swingers. And you know, my partner and I would love to meet you. And they wouldn't say it out in front of everyone else. Right. They waited clandestinely to do it. And that to me is so disingenuous, right? You, you're still not really living your true self, are you? You're a kinkster. And you don't want anyone to know that you're either participating in or interested in our world, but you're willing to let us know that privately. It's kind of like, you don't want, we're your dirty secret. You don't want your friends to know you're hanging out with us. Yeah. And that's just so, to me, it's terrible. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting because fairly early on in our journey in non-monogamy on our BDSM profile, this gentleman reached out and he and I were talking about scening together. And he was very experienced in the world of impact, had been doing it for years and had all sorts of amazing instruments. And we were discussing what that might look like. And then I made the comment of something along the lines of, well, we should also probably talk about, you know, sex protocols and using condoms and all of those kinds of things. And he got so offended and was like, no, 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 this is just a scene. I don't know why you swingers always have to turn this into sex. It's not about sex for me. And it's like, well, 
okay. I mean, it is for me. You know, the two for me go hand in hand. And it's totally okay if you don't agree with that or if you don't want that. But judging me for wanting sex to be part of a scene just feels so hypocritical. You enjoy tying women up and and hitting them with leather belts, but you're not okay with them wanting to have sex with you afterwards or, or you're going to judge them so severely for wanting sex to be a part of that scene. Yeah, and that's the that's the part of it for me, as I said, the hypocrisy and the kink or, or the BDSM space for me. It's a it's supposed to, a matter of fact, in the munches that we were in, the very first thing the moderator would say is that this is a judgment-free space. Yes. You're welcome to say anything. It's an open forum. Judgment-free space. Unless it's something we don't agree with, in which case we're going to judge you harshly, is what they should be saying. Exactly. And I really, I don't like that. I don't like feeling as if because I am a sexual being and because I enjoy variety in my sex life that I'm somehow less than the kinksters out there. Well, and that's the whole thing, right? The, the kinksters, the BDSM folks, in, this, in the whole realm of sexuality, I don't even know that I would say ethical non-monogamy, but let's say sexuality. The BDSM folks put themselves at the highest point of the peak, right? They're at the top of the pyramid. Yes. Then the kinksters underneath them. The swingers are at the very bottom underneath who knows what. <laughs> but what's interesting is in a room like the one we were in with the BDSM group, there are folks in that room that absolutely wanted to engage with us physically. Right. But they were unwilling to announce that to everyone in a room full of their peers, or at least what they perceived to be their peers, willing to do it clandestinely and reaching out to us privately. As far as I'm concerned, I don't see any reason why you can't be in both of those spaces and be in both of those spaces without judgment. You, you're a BDSM person, you're a kinkster, you don't want people judging you. You know, when the swingers judge the BDSM folks, they're, they're just guffawed by it. Like, how dare you judge our lifestyle? Well, but you do the same thing. Just because our lifestyles don't align necessarily doesn't mean judgment should be present by any party. It's a strange place. There really is that struggle, that tug of war between the two. And I, like you, I frankly don't get it because when you get kinksters or BDSM players in the same room as the core swinger group, it's a lot of fun. We've done it. Yeah. It's a good time. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it really is. I don't understand what the struggle is. Like people get together. It's a lot of fun. Well, I think also what should be a part of this conversation is the fact that you find a lot of polyamorous dynamics in the world of BDSM. Yes. From my personal experience, BDSM people are far more likely to also be polyamorous than the average person off the street, right? That there's Absolutely. just a lot more of that in that world. Yeah, we should talk about that as well. Uh, as it pertains to swingers and polyamory and kinksters and polyamory. So it's almost as if polyamorous people, especially the ones that I have interacted with, and especially those who are BDSM-centric, it's almost as if polyamory is the right way to go and swinging is the wrong way to go because in a lot of people's minds, polyamory is about having multiple relationships with people and you're really investing in people and you're putting a lot of yourself into these dynamics and therefore it is somehow more valuable or more important than just swinging, right? Yeah. And in some ways it is. In some ways, when you think about the attention that has to be paid to a polyamorous relationship versus just a play partner in the swinging world, they are two very different things, but it doesn't make one 
better than the other on the in the grand scheme of things. And I, I guess I have a hard time wrapping my head around why it is that a polyamorous person who is involved typically sexually as well as romantically with multiple people looks down on people who just want to remove the sex from the emotions and enjoy the variety that the swinging world has to offer in terms of sexuality. Well, what you just outlined is my point exactly. Think of it from the perspective of how we have been playing up until this point. Now, of course, we're traveling, we're on a tour bus. How we meet people and how we engage with them and what our relationship status with those people are is going to be different than it has been in the past. What I mean by that is we've had regular playmates for a measurable period of time. You, for example, and Clint. Again, if you don't listen to our show, Clint was Brenda's regular playmate and our friend for over two and a half years. I would argue, and I have argued, that while that relationship was basically sexual in nature, there was a polyamorous component to it. At least a swally component, as it had been referred to, right? Swinger and poly. Clint is a friend. A relationship was formed. A bond was formed. A sexual component obviously existed. We shared dinners and drinks and information and personal stories it was as much a poly situation, I think, or as, as great a poly situation as it could have been given the circumstances. So, no, I don't necessarily agree. We never went on dates or anything like that. Right. With that exception, well, you did once what happened to be the last <laughs> time you saw him. Here's the thing. The Kingsters, like the folks we met at the Mark, they are poly. Yep. They're in a poly triad. Yes. And so the gentleman who operates the Mark is also the head of the largest poly organization in town. So those two things really are congruent. The poly folks and the kinksters, that's a very, they're very much connected. Yes. What I find interesting is when we talk to our swinger-centric friends about how we are venturing into polyamory, most of them are just thrown off like we could never do that we could never go out on dates we could never play alone i can't imagine my partner going out on a date with someone without me where the kingsters are like well yeah that's kind of that's what isn't we that do. how you do it yeah yeah and i it's so strange to me how they i would really like and i think when it's permissible at some point we're going to get a room of kinksters and swingers together and just have an open forum conversation a round table conversation about the differences and the commonalities and why they can't get together and and what it needs what what needs to happen to get them together and aligned to to really kind of find some common ground because i really believe that they're each group would benefit from communicating with each other openly. Well, it sounds like from the conversation we just had, and granted, we're just scratching the surface of kind of the differences and the and the challenges that these worlds have when they mix together and the reason it's been like oil and water in a lot of different ways. But if from having this conversation, I'm already thinking of the different ways that, you know, just a shift in mindset can really bring the two sides together. I think overall and granted i am majorly uh simplifying this by saying this but the swinger community needs to take certain things a lot more seriously yes you know we mentioned yes. the consent aspect of it but it, it's not just that it's also for example the clubs and events in the swinger world have a lot to learn from the kink world yeah listen folks for those of you who have, who have experienced some of the swinger establishments, let's call them, and, and different things and different events, and you felt, ah, these are a little lackluster, you need to spend some time in a, in a real kink space like the Mark. You could go to our YouTube channel, the Front Porch Swingers YouTube channel, look at the walkthrough we did. 
that does not do that facility justice. I can tell you from someone who built restaurants and bars and nightclubs and casinos for a living, that facility is as mechanically sound as as clean. It was pristine. You could eat off of any surface in that facility. That's what I expect when I walk into a place that we are potentially going to be naked with other people and, and you know enjoying their company. Frankly, the truck stop we are currently parked in is cleaner than some of the swinger establishments we've been in. A lot cleaner. And that is frightening. Yes. Okay? Frightening when you consider the number of people that walk through a facility like this. Well, and what's so interesting to me is you often talk to people. I always ask people when they say they've gone to a new club that we've never heard of, that we've never been to, that's in a part of the country we're not in. I always ask them, well, how was it? Tell me what the club experience was like for you. And they'll report back. And a lot of times they're saying negative things. They're saying, well, it was really kind of dirty and grimy. And, you know, we wanted right. to play in the in the playrooms, but we weren't sure that the sheets were being changed out. And we just it felt just kind of yucky and my response is always okay so that means you're not going back there right and typically their response back to me is well yeah i mean once you get there and you're in the atmosphere the atmosphere of being around sexy people is more important to us than what the facility looks like and it's like no i just want to scream no you have to demand better that's exactly right if you continue to patron those places and provide them with your dollars they think it's okay to continue operating at that level because they don't have any motivation to do better because you keep coming back no matter what well here's the thing here's the biggest thing for me between as it pertains to this vastness between the kink space slash bdsm space and the swinger centric space it is that the swinger centric space just accepts mediocrity at best they are absolutely willing to tolerate mediocrity just to have a place to go the kinksters aren't having it Kingsters are not going to play in a place like some of the ones we've been to in the swinger-centric space. I will say even the dungeons or the uh, kink-centric spaces that I've seen online where maybe they're not quite as high-end as something like the Mark in Nashville, they are still pristine. They're still clean, even if they're not... Even if they don't have the funding to make it this amazing state-of-the-art facility, you can still see that they take it seriously because things are organized and clean and well put together. And you don't see that in the swinger world. Well, it's, it's like anything else, right? It's like your home. You don't have to be wealthy to have a clean home. The places we've been to, Studio Friction, for example, in Denver, the Mark in uh, Nashville, these are not, these are not for profit. They're funded. They still manage. They're community funded. Yeah, they still manage to keep it together. And not only keep it together, but to be exceptional as it pertains to cleanliness and organization. The facilities are immaculate, and that's the biggest difference for me. Swingers will go to a club or an event. If if there are 90 people going to some dingy hotel room banquet hall, and you tell them it's a swinger event, folks will go. And they'll party, and they'll tolerate it, and they'll stay in the dingy place. The kinksters aren't doing it. Right. They're not doing it. You're not going to get a BDSM scene to be taking place in such an environment. And granted, again, this is definitely uh, grouping all of them in together. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there are... There are exceptions I'm sure there are kink groups that get together in gross places, too. It's just not the norm. It's certainly not the vast majority of them. However, as you said, you know, in the swinger world, folks, we have got to demand better. Yes. You know, you've got... And the only way to do that is to do it with your dollars. Stop patronizing these people. Yeah. Just stop. 
you know, we have determined, particularly as it pertains to our Front Porch Swingers podcast and the brand, we are not going to represent people who don't have it right. If it's not a place that we are comfortable playing in or being entertained in, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to take part in it. Right. It's just isn't. It's just not what we want to do. You know, it's not for us, and we're not going to bring it to you. It's just that simple. Yeah. You know, we want you to demand more. If you're a swinger, if you're ethically non-monogamous, you must demand better. Yeah, take your spaces seriously. And that's why I'm saying, like, we know that swingers spend a lot of money to live in this lifestyle, to be in this lifestyle, and to engage in, in you know, events and clubs and all those types not of things. Not a cheap endeavor. It is not. But I think if you can be strategic about the money going where it should be going to places that care more about quality than just overall profit, that's how we're going to start to see it change. And that's one really pertinent example in my mind of how the swinging lifestyle needs to take things more seriously. Being willing to go to a gross playroom just because it's just down the street from you is not taking it seriously enough. Well, listen, it's like I I would tell you, you know, running restaurants at a high level. If you're someone who goes out like we do, we go to our favorite restaurants, or we did, right, when we were living in our our hometown. If you're folks who go to the same place all the time and you know the manager and the bartender and the servers and you're really proud of the place, you enjoy it, you enjoy the food. If you saw something out of line, like the bathroom was really dirty or something was broken, if you're proud and, and enjoy the places you go to, if you were walking into the restroom of your favorite restaurant or or anything was out of, out of line or out of shape, you'd probably tell the manager and say, hey, just so you know, you know, the paper towel dispenser is out of paper towels or you're out of soap in the men's room or whatever the case may be. If you really want to make a difference in the swinger-centric spaces, don't be afraid to tell the operator, hey, listen, man, the playroom's really dirty. The furniture back there is really dated. And don't kid yourselves. People who operate restaurants, just like people who operate swingers clubs, they know full well that their facility needs you know, new seating or the carpet is bad. They know those things. They're well aware. They're not going to do anything about it if they don't have to because it's an expense until enough people say to them, hey, man, the carpet smells in here. This room's got a strange odor. Or, you know, the tile in the men's room is all busted up and broken. I tripped on the, you know, on the tile going into the bathroom. Until people bring it to their attention and make it an issue, they're not going to change it. So don't be afraid to tell the people at your favorite swinger club, listen, man, this place needs an update. You got to get this place cleaned up. Yeah. You know, it's got a funky smell back here in the playroom. The bathrooms need some updating or they need some attention. You've got to tell people. you got to tell people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Demand, or just don't go. <laughs> or, or simply stop patronizing. S- speak with your dollars. Just demand better. Yeah. Just demand better. Absolutely. I think that that is one way that, you know, the swinging lifestyle in general can be taken more seriously. Because like I said, there are kinksters or even people that are vanilla, but maybe, maybe they're vanilla bean, as you like to refer to it. And they're curious and they really just want to understand this world. I mean, think about it. One of the clubs that we've been to, we're not obviously going to say it on the podcast, but it was, it's pretty bad. Think about if the very first experience you had had was walking into that club. Well, I think of the first experience you and I had walking into an event. Right, but we had already played with people at that point and decided that we wanted to be in the lifestyle. Correct. That was not our first interaction in the lifestyle. If we had never had any sexual contact with other people, we had no idea what the lifestyle was about, and the first time that we had anything to do with the swinger lifestyle was walking into that club, what sort of impression we would have been left with? It would have been horrendous. It would have cha- it probably would have changed our, our vision very quickly it would have probably changed our entire trajectory on the lifestyle and i think about that all the time i really do well the club that we were in not too long ago as you're referring to 
if people walk in that place for the first time and they're really serious about wanting to be in the space of ethical non-monogamy, the swinger-centric space, if that's their first experience, I think two things happen. One, they're I think they're taken aback by like, wow, this place is just, it's, you know, it's not in great shape. It really is outdated and kind of dingy. And, and, and then it's like, well, is there better out there or is this what we need to expect? People just aren't going to be certain. Well, and the reality is there is better out there. There is, and you need to explore it. We've been to Scarlet Ranch in Denver, which Amazing if you guys are, are listening and are looking for a club that really gets it right and understands that being serious can change everything, can change yeah. an entire facility. Scarlet Ranch is a perfect example of that. It is yeah. clean. It is awesome. It is beautiful. Yeah, it's it well is well appointed. Yeah. The people are nice and respectful, and they take the, what they do very seriously. Yeah, it's an exceptional facility, and you can actually see people cleaning constantly. They're white off anything from wiping down a table to the to a chair to a, a playroom Co people constantly in and out cleaning 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 pre-covid obviously we haven't been since of course but uh, i don't imagine it's changed but they are very very high uh in terms of the cl the cleanliness level of some of these clubs it's it, it was exceptional and yeah. then there's there are others that aren't and that's just unfortunate yeah so i like i said just one more example of, of kind of the different worlds and and how maybe they don't see eye to eye but i think overall this entire topic comes down to it is two worlds that do tend to have you have a lot of people that have a, a foot in both worlds we are those people and we like certain things about both lifestyles both kink and swinging and in fact i love both of them they're both a, a huge part of who i am personally and who we are as a couple but it's sometimes really difficult to maneuver through both lifestyles being the other, right? Well, it's, it's difficult for us, I think, or people like us. First of all, we are consensually, ethically non-monogamous. We play in the kink space, in the BDSM space. We are both bisexual, pansexual, if you will. We are polyamorous. We cover a lot of ground, a lot of ground. So for us, we see and come in contact with a lot of different places and people. So we have the opportunity to kind of dissect it and, and take a really hard look at it and dig in a little bit. And it's difficult to decide where we best fit and into what group we best fit because we really can fit into all of those groups. It just comes down to where do we want to spend our energy? What makes the most sense for us? Where will we be the most accepted? And I think what you just said is one of the things that I really wanted to get across on this particular episode, which is if you are a swinger and you have zero idea of what the kink world looks like, you should go into a kink space. You should find a dungeon in your area. You should go to a munch. Obviously, when you know when it's permissible and safe to do so. But at some point, you need to be in that environment. And I think vice versa as well. Oh, 100%. I think that there are a lot of people in the kink world that have a lot of misconceptions about what it's like to be a swinger, what it's like to be in that space, uh, who swingers are as people. I think that the more that we can really just open our minds to different experiences Experiences and different ways of thinking, that's how we're really going to come together. And that's how we're going to move closer to this center that I hope that we'll get to one day, which is just acceptance within alternative lifestyles. Of course, I'd love for them to also not be alternative lifestyles at some point, but I think that's years down the road. Yeah, that's going to, uh, yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to see those days. But in the meantime, I would just like to see quote unquote alternative lifestyle people being accepting of each other and understanding that we can learn something from each other. Yeah, I think it's going to be. For us, I mean, I, I firmly believe this, and I've said this before, as time goes on, I think we're going to see a lot fewer 
groups or fewer events that are either kink-centric or BDSM-centric or swinger-centric. I think it's going to be a sexuality space. Sexuality spaces are going to develop. Sex-positive spaces, yeah. yes. Sex-positive spaces are going to become the norm, as it should be. I think there there's a happy medium between all of these layers that can be found and, and maintained and then appreciated by everybody. It's like anything else. You can't judge people. If you haven't walked in their shoes, you, you can't make a judgment. So if you're a kinkster, but you've never been to a swinger event or a club, or you're a swinger and never been to a kink or BDSM scene uh, you know, or event or demo, you really can't speak to it. You know, you have to experience it. Now, if you have and you didn't care for it, it wasn't your thing, that's fine. But the judgment piece of it has to go away. No one is any better than the other, period. It's sex positivity. Just keep it simple. Yeah. Just respect each other. If it doesn't work for you, that's fine. But you need to respect each other's space. Yeah, I completely agree. And like I said, you can learn a lot from other people in this space. So, you know, do that. <laughs> yeah, learn, 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 learn. Absolutely. Don't be so closed off. That is the one thing I will say about both sides. Both sides seem to be closed off about their camp, right? Everybody wants to be in a camp. Everybody wants to be part of a group. We do it the right way. You do it the yeah, wrong this way. This is how we do it. You should do it this way. Listen, man, do it your way, but do it consensually. Do it respectfully. Do it thoughtfully. Doesn't matter which you know which way is yours, but do consider other ways. There are other ways to do things. Yes, you know, I, you have to be open to it. I just think if you're sex positive, if you're truly sex positive, you have to be open to alternatives. I completely agree. As proud swingers and kinksters, we obviously uh, have a lot of experience in both of these worlds, a lot of passion for both of them. And if you would like to talk with us more in depth, one-on-one -on -one or two-on-two -two about any of the things that we discussed today, you can find all of our coaching services and resources at sexonyourterms.com. I think probably my favorite part of everything we do in terms of our professional careers is coaching people and talking to them about their desires and, and getting into the worlds and spaces that they want to be in. So if you are one of those people, please reach out to us. We would love to talk to you. You can also send us your thoughts, comments on this episode, suggestions for future episodes, etc. at sexonyourterms at gmail.com. And please follow us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at sexonyourterms. Thank you so much to those of you who have already subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts and the other podcasts catcher apps. You can leave us a review, which helps us significantly in getting uh, a little bit more noticed on the podcasting apps so people can find the show. So if you have a couple minutes to leave us a review and a, a message on why you're enjoying the show, we would so appreciate that. And that is what we have for you guys this time around. And until next time, we hope you enjoy Sex on Your Terms. <laughs>